Welcome to the Business Podcast Canada, a Canadian podcast for business professionals around the world, with Victor Miyagi, Robin Alisat, and a special guest. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Business Podcast Canada. Today's episode will be all about resumes. As a business professional, how long should your resume be? Should you include your entire work history or just relevant roles for the job you are applying for? Do recruiters look at online courses you may have taken? We'll go over all of those questions and more. My name is Victor, and we also have Robin co-hosting today. Robin, how are you today? I'm doing good, Victor. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And we also have a very special guest with us today, Pascal Terrio. Pascal is a job search guru, a recruiter at Hi Hello in Calgary, Alberta. He was the president of the Human Resources Student Association at the University of Calgary, from where he graduated with a distinction with a major in operations management. Pascal, thanks so much for being here. How are you doing today? Thanks so much for having me, Victor. Uh, I'm doing great today. It's uh, a little bit rainy here in Calgary, but uh, other than that, uh, it's it's all positive and looking forward to the weekend. It's coming up soon as well. Awesome. Awesome. So before we get started with questions, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background as a job search guru? Yeah, thank you. So um, since graduating from the University of Calgary's Haskane School of Business uh, a little over five years ago now, I have been working in the field of recruitment and talent acquisition uh, since then. So uh, five plus years of recruiting experience. And if you count my internships, uh, even prior to that, uh, you, I guess you could add a little bit more to that as well. I, I did a couple of internships in HR and recruiting as well. So um, yeah, really every, anything um, to do with hiring and interview processes and, and job searches, resumes, uh, networking, all of the above um, is sort of my wheelhouse, my area of expertise that I've developed over the last five plus years through my career. Um, I've been really lucky to work with uh, some different organizations across a variety of industries. So I started my career in the oil and gas and energy sector. I've worked in agriculture. I've worked in an engineering design and systems integration business. Um, and then more recently for the last two and a half years or so, I've been working in the, the technology and software as a service industry. And um, that's what Hi Hello does. We, we provide a digital business card and contact management software solution um, to individuals and, and to organizations. And uh, I help to lead recruiting here uh, with Hi Hello. Awesome. Well, that's a, that's a very impressive resume. So thank you again for being here with us, Pascal. And I do see that uh, QR code. So I'm guessing that is your virtual uh, business card. Correct. Yeah, you you got it. So if uh, if anyone were to scan uh, the the QR code there when watching uh, the recording, um, you'll definitely be able to see my Hi Hello Work uh, business card and, and feel free to connect with me there or connect with me uh, via LinkedIn. I think my LinkedIn is shared uh, in my business card as well. Okay, perfect. Well, uh, just so our audience knows, we uh, found Pascal through LinkedIn because of a post that he wrote about whether or not a recruiter should follow up with candidates who are rejected for a role. And if so, how much detail should they provide? We thought his insights and other posts were really interesting. So we reached out to invite him to the podcast and here we are. So before we get started, Robin wanted to share a few interesting facts about resumes with you. So Robin, take it away. Yeah, thanks, Victor. So it's so interesting, Pascal, because like, you know, there's feedback and recommendations and best practices on how to format your resume, what recruiters are looking for, what they're not looking for, what can land you um, the interview, what can't. So I'm just really curious, like, you know, for your feedback on these things. Um, we pulled these stats from a professional business uh, resume writing uh, company. So I'm super curious to know if this kind of aligns with what you're seeing 
if this is kind of old news, is this what you're kind of seeing for the future? Um, so the first one, and I think this is always so interesting, that recruiters can spend five to seven seconds average going over a resume. Is that is that true? Can you really just like scan really quickly and be like, yep, they're moving forward or I want to talk to them? I think as a generalization, I would say that that is probably fairly accurate. Um, I think that the larger organization the recruiter is, is representing, the more likely that is the case. Um, for myself, I work for a really small startup. We're less than 25 employees today. Um, so I typically spend, I would say, maybe like 20 to 30 seconds uh, per resume, um, as opposed to that five to seven, which is, is still not mm. a long period of time, of course, mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely have been in, in organizations in the past that were larger, where where we were receiving hundreds or even thousands of applications on a yep. weekly or monthly basis. And, and in those cases, uh, sometimes out of necessity, uh, it does have to be that that five to seven seconds wow that's fair and so i'm also curious kind of to follow up that um you know i think there's been a lot of conversations about um you know tools now that can scan a resume for you before it kind of gets submitted and like viewed by a person are you seeing that as a trend or is it something that it, like a personal will, or a person will always kind of look at a resume to kind of decide moving forward um because i know that experience doesn't need to 100 percent line up so i'm just curious like is it more process that like a tool will kind of scan resumes or does a human look at it? Yeah, so I, I think there is a bit of a misconception out there about what the tools uh, that exist actually do. Um, so many, many recruiters, I would say most organizations, most recruiters use a popular recruitment tool called an applicant tracking system or, or ATS. Um, what ATSs do is, is really effectively helping recruiters to track and make their work more efficient. Um, a part of that may be pulling pieces of information from a resume or ranking candidates based on the information from the resume. Um, but it is extremely, extremely rare and, and seldom for the piece of software or the tool to actually be rejecting or making decisions on a candidate by itself. Um, I would say that in my experience, every single organization I've represented, there has always been some sort of human intervention, oftentimes more than one human, it might be the recruiter and the hiring leader, um, or something like that, that are reviewing resumes. So um, I would say that the wide, wide majority of the time there will there will be human intervention. Um, some 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 person, some human being will be actually looking at um, a candidate's resume and, and making a decision on yes or no, whether to proceed forward. Awesome. And this actually goes into the next stat that, um, you know, 70 6% of resumes are rejected due to an unprofessional email address. And I think we've all been there when Hotmail was a big thing, AOL. Um, and I'm curious, like, how often do you see that on a resume? And does that actually turn you off from either wanting to reach out to that person or not? That's an interesting one. I, I think that statistic is probably a little bit more old school um, than, than what uh, I'm used to seeing today. Um, I mean, certainly there are interesting email addresses that you come across every once in a while as a recruiter, but I, I typically wouldn't, unless it's something that's like including profanity or something extremely inappropriate or discriminatory or something, I typically wouldn't form a judgment on a candidate on, on any one single piece of information, let alone something as trivial as, as an email address. Um, I, I would definitely... Uh, take a look at kind of the full picture and the, the application and the resume and skills and everything like that before uh, making a decision. So I, and, and I, I do think in general that today, again, as opposed to maybe 10 or 15 years ago, there are all sorts of different types of email providers out there. There, uh, and I think 
the business and working world in general has gotten a little bit more casual uh, over the last 10 plus years as well. And, and even through the pandemic more recently uh, with people kind of working from home, understanding that work and, and life are kind of blending together. So um, I definitely wouldn't judge someone negatively uh, in most cases based on something as simple as an email address. Oh, I appreciate that because this actually really leads into the next question. Um, pictures on a resume. Apparently, 88% of resumes get rejected because there's a picture. Um, and I know that that can be a cultural thing. Um, North America, I think specifically in Canada, I don't know if it's like a really popular thing. Um, but I'm curious about that as well. Like, is that something that would kind of put you and outstand you um, from the rest of the candidates? Or is it something that can actually hinder you? Um, that's a good one as well. I, I think to your point, it's often just a cultural or geographical uh, difference. Um, again, in, in Canada and North America in general, it's not common practice to include a, a photo on your resume. Um, but in, in some European countries, in Africa and in, in India, I know other parts of the world, it is fairly common or, or even encouraged or recommended to include a professional headshot on your resume. Um, so I think from my perspective, I, I wouldn't look at it one way or the other. Like, I don't think it's a positive or a negative. I, I would try my best to be objective and, and unbiased and, and look at the content, the information, the skills, the experience, everything like that, that are on the particular resume. Um, that being said, I, I think we can all agree that in general, there is still room for improvement in the business world and, and in hiring practices in different organizations in terms of reducing biases and, and not letting those kinds of things uh, play a factor. Um, so I, I do know that based on my experience, sadly, there are still some recruiters out there. There are still some hiring leaders, some business people that might view that negatively or, or that might have some sort of unconscious bias about people from a different part of the world or something like that. Um, so I would say in, in general, it's probably a best practice in, in North America, to, sorry, North America to kind of follow, um, I guess, the, the commonality or the common trend of, of not including a photo um, on your resume. And, and again, now we have other platforms, whether it's LinkedIn or um, AngelList or, or different profiles, social medias that are out there where we can show a little bit more personality and, and uh, share a photo of ourselves and that kind of thing. So I think my preference in general would be to keep resumes to the, the content uh, itself that's most relevant to the job application. No, that's very fair. Um, so interesting. I would, I'd be curious to know you, this, your thought on this, especially since, you know, with the pandemic, a lot of uncertainty has happened. A lot of joy, uh, jobs have kind of shut down, but then also up, uh, um, opened as well. Um, so apparently, like from the stat, like over 250 resumes can get submitted to a job, but then only four people actually will get selected to do like the first round of interviews in the second round. I'm curious, is that kind of what you've been seen on trend um again i think with the pandemic it's been really interesting but like on average do you know how many resumes get submitted for a job yeah i i, I do think it varies based on the type of job um so again i work in the, the software technology industry so for example, in this industry, both with HiHello and with my previous employer, Avanti, which is a Canadian HR software company, um, we would see a much higher volume of applications for sales, client-facing, uh, kind of business-oriented roles, um, whereas we would see less applications for really technical um, kind of IT, software development, um, cloud engineering, the, the uh, soft, um, UI, UX design, these different types of roles that are much more complex and, and technical or creative in, in nature and require a very specific uh, kind of background and, and expertise. Um, so for those types of roles, I would say that 
the number is definitely less than 250. I, I would, if I had to guess, maybe like 50 to 100 for those types of roles on average. Uh, but certainly for business sales, client facing roles, 250 plus is, is definitely not um, out of the ordinary, especially for medium to larger size organizations that have a, a well-recognized employer brand. Um, and just to touch on the, the piece about the number of candidates selected for interviews as well, um, I think that sort of varies depending on the organization at hand and what their particular process and, and policies look like. Um, but I can tell you that with my prior employer, Avanti, and, and the process that we had built there, um, we tried to speak with eight to 10 candidates um, for any given role um, for kind of the first round of, of screening interviews. Um, and here with, with Hi Hello, we're, we're a small startup, so we don't always have the luxury of, of having as many applications flowing in all at once necessarily, but I would say that we still try to speak with more, definitely more than four, um, six to eight, maybe on, on average, but there are certainly roles where we'll speak with many more folks on that if we're not able to find the, the right person or the right fit um, earlier on in the process. Um, so I'm so curious about this one because I think a lot of people kind of use this as like an advantage, you know, one of their um, soft skills that they have is detail oriented and, you know, totally on the ball. And so I'm curious because this stat is so interesting to me that like because of a typo on the resume, 61% of candidates actually will get kind of disregarded because of a spelling mistake. You know, how often do you see that when you're looking at resumes? And do you think that number, that percentage is actually high? Or is that, could that be a little bit lower based on an error or a typo that you see? I would say that that's probably fairly accurate. I, I again, don't know the necessarily the exact percentage off the top of my head based on uh, the, the resumes that I see, but I, I would guess or, or estimate that that's fairly accurate. I and again, it, it sort of does depend on the role uh, in that particular case. If if someone or if if that again detail orientation and attention to detail and um, organizational skills, communication, if if those are are kind of deemed to be really important or really highly sought after skills in that particular job type, whether it's sales, for example, or an executive assistant or a customer success manager, or customer support specialist, where those kinds of things often are very critical or, or even in my role as, as a recruiter, um, I would say that yes, um, having those kinds of typos or grammatical errors, things like that can negatively impact um, how your resume is, is reviewed or, or potentially even kind of have you declined from the process, especially if it's a very competitive uh, application and, and there are potentially tens or hundreds of other candidates, um, something as, as simple as that can make a difference. So I, I always advise candidates um, to kind of double, triple check your own resume, um, use, of course, the tools that are out there, whether it's spell check in Microsoft Word or uh, Grammarly extension in, in your browser, um, and ultimately just having your resume reviewed by a couple of other people with kind of an objective sort of third-party point of view is, is never a bad idea uh, before submitting it uh, for any job application as well. That's very fair. Um, so you yeah. touched on this earlier, but I'm, I'm curious about um, how often you do use LinkedIn to kind of like double check the candidates, see if their um, profile matches their resume. Um, you know, 87% of the cases, um, a recruiter or a hiring manager will go to LinkedIn to kind of check out that candidate. Um, is that something that you do? Is that best practices um, that you have for Hi Hello or just yourself as a recruiter? Yeah, de definitely. I think that number is probably very accurate as well, if, if not even higher. Um, I would say that I, if, if the LinkedIn profile is available, if it's if it's linked on their resume or, or in their application in some way, I will go check it out like 
almost 100% of the time if, if it's available or, or provided in the application. Um, I, to your point, I, I do like to see consistency um, between the resume and, and the LinkedIn profile. Um, that might not always be the case. I, I know, for example, software engineers are sometimes notorious for not keeping their social profiles up to date and, and that kind of thing in my experience. So that it, it doesn't always, it isn't always a make or break factor, but um, I do want to see that that person maybe has some sort of kind of positive online presence. Are, are they reflecting similar or the same information on, on their resume versus their LinkedIn profile? Um, and even with LinkedIn or other social medias these days, um, it's a great way to get gain insight into that person's behavior, what they think about, um, what kinds of posts they're interacting with or commenting on. Um, are they sharing any of their own original content or blog posts or courses that they're completing? Um, things like that. So you can often glean a lot more uh, kind of detailed information, not only about their background and, and learning and experience, but also just about them as a person and how they communicate and how they think um, in, in looking at uh, someone's LinkedIn profile. Wow. That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> keep, keep your LinkedIn profile up to date. <laughs> and, and don't get in fights in LinkedIn. Recruiters will see that. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah. I mean, uh, maybe it's, it's difficult to see every single small activity that someone's doing on LinkedIn, but um, you'd be surprised there are, I mean, even in my own LinkedIn content and, and presence there, there are some people that tend to be quite argumentative or or that don't necessarily reflect the most positive version of themselves in comments or, or in mm -hmm. activity that they're doing there. So it is important to be professional. And I think um, if, if you really don't agree with someone, maybe take that offline or, or keep those thoughts to yourself, um, because it is possible that a recruiter or a hiring leader or someone else important to your career might, might be able to see that at some point in the future because mm -hmm. wow. i was curious about like social media in general like i know that um i mean when facebook really got popular for um that first little bit i think recruiters were looking to facebook and twitter um to see if they could find the candidates specifically kind of see who they are as um you know an individual and i'm curious does does social media still play a big part, you know, besides LinkedIn, I feel like that's the professional social media, but like their personal social media, do people have to worry about keeping um, their content private or their accounts private um, or kind of watching what they post? That's a, that's a good question. I, I would say that for myself as a recruiter, I don't place too much weight into those kinds of things. And, and I think quite frankly, most recruiters, that work for organizations that are growing or or that are busy enough they probably don't have time to look at five different social media platforms or or profiles for uh different candidates um so i i don't honestly place too much weight on it i i know that in the tech or software industry specifically twitter is quite popular and, and quite widely used so there may be cases where I would say it's, it's more likely that a hiring leader would check out someone's social media profiles rather than myself or, or most mm. recruiters. Um, I think as a general best practice, it's, it's probably a good idea if you're sharing something that you don't want people in the professional world to see, probably a good idea to keep your profile private or, or to have some sort of security privacy settings around those posts or, or on your specific profile on, on that uh, unique platform. Um, but uh, otherwise, I, I don't think I don't think as long as you're sharing something that you'd be okay with a friend or a family member or or kind of someone in your network seeing, I, I don't think there's a harm in, in keeping them public. Like I, I mean, I don't know if I should say this, but I personally have my Instagram public still, and and uh, I don't use Twitter anymore. But I I have a couple of my profiles more public, a couple that I, that I have set to private, just just because of the way that I I use them and and 
who I'm engaging with. And I don't necessarily want all my professional stuff coming to my, all of my friends and family and, and that kind of thing. So, um, so it's, it's really, I think at the individual's preference, but again, just be careful about what you're sharing. If, if you know something is maybe not the most professional, then probably best to, to keep it private. Mm -hmm. That's fair. I can see how like the hiring manager would probably have time to do that because there's probably like four or five candidates that they can like pick from and, mm -hmm. and have the time to do that instead of like, yeah, the 250 plus candidates. You're like, okay, I just need to get this going. Yeah, <laughs> correct. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So my last one, and this has been a really interesting um, subject, I think, especially, especially for me, I do identify as a female. So, um, you know, it's interesting how there's a lot of talk that if you're not 100% qualified to position, you should still apply just in case. Um, I know that there's kind of a ratio that like women tend to not do that as much as men. Um, and I'm really curious to know your thoughts on that. It's like, you know, looking for a position, if you hit, you know, three out of the 10, um, you know, requirements or what, you know, the wish list is for that job description, what is your advice and what is your kind of take on um, having candidates apply for a position that they don't fit entirely 100%, but like could still have that, the background that you could, you know, train or they could learn um, and kind of fit into the role um, as you see fit? Yeah, that's a, a great question. I mean, uh, I, I'm also familiar with with that kind of research and and the data that's behind that. So I, I mean, the data speaks for itself. It, it is the truth. Um, women are less likely to apply for jobs that they don't see themselves meeting all the criteria or, or a significant portion of their criteria versus men who will still go ahead and, and apply. Um, so and and I would say that trend. I, I've kind of seen that firsthand in the applications that we might receive and in, in throughout my career and in, in different organizations and industries as well. Um, so, I mean, my general advice that I give on LinkedIn and, and to candidates and that kind of thing is if you, if you feel like you meet roughly 50% of the criteria, that's usually a good indication to, to apply. Um, now, on the other hand, you don't want to necessarily meet 95 or 100% of the criteria either. While, while that might be Kind of a more of a shoe in uh, to to land the role, or you might be viewed as immediately as one of the top candidates. You're not going to be challenging yourself. You're not going to be learning. You're not going to be growing. Um, so I, I I would advise candidates if you feel like you meet 95 or 100 percent of the the criteria for a role, set your sights a little bit higher. Like what's the next step in that role's career path or career trajectory, um, and kind of tailor your search to that specific title or, or that type of role. Um, I mean, it's up to the person if they want to apply still, but um, I would say always kind of shoot your, shoot your shot a little bit higher than, than the criteria or the, or the experience and skills that you already have. Um, so I, I think probably somewhere between like the 50 to 75%, 50 to 80%, if, if you meet that portion of criteria, that's usually a good indicator to apply. And, and you'll likely have a fairly good chance uh, at that role as well. Um, I think, uh, yeah, the, the more, I mean, the more you have, the better in the grand scheme of things. But again, it might not be a good fit for either party, the, the candidate or the organization in the long run, if, if you meet too many of the criteria, um, just because that, that candidate might get bored or, or not be feeling as, as utilized as they possibly could. Um, and oftentimes the business is hiring for a need that they have today, um, not necessarily in, in the future. Um, although we would like to be able to predict the future and, and um, plan and forecast effectively. And, and a lot of good businesses do try their best. Um, but usually hiring needs are like 
to address a need that the business has today or in the, the short term. Um, so it's not necessarily always a good predictor um, for long-term growth or long-term success or long-term happiness in that role uh, if someone already meets a really large portion of the criteria. Absolutely. And I think that's a, that's a great point too, to um, look at a resume or sorry, at a job posting and kind of see like, can you see yourself doing it for now? But then in six months, if you are kind of hitting it a hundred percent, like where will you be? Will you be satisfied? Will there be opportunity for growth internally or will you start looking for a position? I think that's a great point to, um, to make Pascal because I don't think people really think that it's like, you know, they're looking because they want to make more money or they're overwhelmed or they're stressed. So I think that's yeah. like really great insight to also keep in mind when looking at a position that you're like, Ooh, this looks really great, but I'm kind of intimidated based on the lack of experience that they're looking for. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I like that encouragement to like still go for it because you never know, but also this could be the great opportunity that you're looking for to like challenge yourself. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad that resonates. And I, I think just one more thing to add is the business usually expects candidates to spend at least a year in any given role, if not a year and a half or two years. So again, like that's something to consider as a candidate. If, if you feel like you meet all of those criteria already today, are you going to be okay or happy working in that role for another full year, another two years? There, there might be certain situations or organizations where the company is growing really quickly or it's a startup or there's, there's just naturally quicker growth. Um, but I would say in the wide majority of organizations that are already at scale or that are growing a little bit more slowly, um, you, you have to kind of keep that in mind. Like, am I going to be happy in this specific role for as much as two years or potentially even longer sometimes, depending on the organization? I appreciate that. Yeah. So yeah, so that was that was kind of the stats that we pulled um, for this. And I know that we're going to be kind of talking more about like the resume side of things. Um, but with what we kind of just discussed, is that something that you still see is going to be a trend for the future? Um, that spelling mistakes are going to be a big deal? Updating, I know you kind of talked about like, emails don't need to be 100% like professional, they can still have that personality associated to it. But do you see a trend kind of moving forward um, on what you're seeing right now? Yeah, I, I think um, kind of to what we discussed, uh, I think the business world in general and, and hiring in general is slowly inching towards a little bit more, I guess, balance between professionalism and, and who we are in our, our lives kind of as a person and, and just, uh, I guess, yeah, exploring a little bit more of that personal side, personality, what's going on in our, our lives outside of work and, and kind of bringing those things together, just, just really making things a little bit more casual, I think, in, in general. So I do see that trend slowly continuing. It, it is, I will say it is a slow, slow process. I think it's been happening for a long time already well before my career started um, and it's still still happening um, and it will be for a very long time but it's nice to see some progress in in that sense um conversely though i i think things like grammatical errors uh, or um, typos or just the content that you're sharing the formatting um things like that will will stay as they are for for the foreseeable future probably for a very long time just because um they are important and and they are kind of easy ways for recruiters and hiring leaders to decide between two candidates on paper um, who might have otherwise very similar experience and skills. But if one person 
doesn't have any errors, doesn't have any typos, has presented their information very clearly, is using kind of measurable, uh, actionable, um, uh, I guess, achievements and things like that on their resume. And is just a very clear communicator, well-formatted, all the things that you look for versus the other person, if they're lacking some or all those things, it's it's a pretty easy decision for uh, for the person who's reviewing the resume. So I, I think those kinds of things will, will always be important, quite frankly. Excellent. Well, thank you, Robin, for those resume facts. And uh, thank you, Pascal, for letting us know your thoughts on those interesting facts there. And now we do have a few specific questions related to resumes. So I'll hand it over again to Robin for the first one that we have for you. Okay, so the big question, how long should your resume be? Should it be one page? Should it be two pages? Um, And then I think kind of on top of that, it's like, how many bullet points should you put for each position as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. So um, you might not like my answer, but I I don't personally, I don't have a preference over one or two page resumes, even if, if a person has uh, like a lengthier career and multiple roles and the content to back it up. I don't even care if it's three pages or, or even four pages. Obviously, there's wow. there there can be a limit sometimes I think like I, I don't know exactly what that limit is but um it, it's more cumbersome and a lot more time consuming to read and review a resume that's four or five six pages long um so I probably wouldn't go too far beyond like three or four pages and and that would be for a very very experienced kind of senior level person um but I, I think for kind of more junior folks intermediate folks um, entry level folks I could care less if it's one or two pages it's it's really more about the content um and i keep coming back to this but and what i mean by that is is the content that you're displaying directly relevant to the job and organization that you're applying to um so that's that's kind of what i always look for um a great way to to kind of i guess assess this as a candidate before applying for a job is take the job description in, in one hand or on one monitor or whatever, um, and then the, your resume in, in the other and look at them both and see if you can kind of match up a significant number of, of keywords or kind of statements or skills, experiences that are being sought after in the job description. Um, and if you don't have those things on your resume, um, try to find a way to work them in. And, and I'm definitely not advocating for lying or, or um, misrepresenting anyone's experience because you will always be caught as a candidate later on in the process or when you first start the job. So it's, it's never a good way to go. Um, but what I mean is look at the job description, pick out those important keywords, those top skills and, and experiences that the company is looking for. And then think about do, just through self-reflection, how can you represent or include these kinds of like common keywords, common language, things like that into your experience and your resume, your bullet points, your skills, everything like that. Um, and there's a variety of different sections, of course, in your resume that you can kind of work work all of these different pieces into. Um, so that that's really the most important thing to me is is the content really directly relevant and, and beneficial to uh, kind of presenting and selling yourself for the role at hand. Um, so, so yeah, there, there are other recruiters that view it differently. I know some recruiters that want one page, some recruiters that are okay with two pages. Um, again, I, I don't have a personal preference, so it's, it's really just, I think all the thing that all recruiters can agree on is, is the content matters most. Okay. And you were talking about being matching your resume with what you have on LinkedIn. So let's say that you have five previous roles and only three of those are applicable to the job for which you are applying. So would you say that it's okay to only include those three relevant roles or would you have two sections like relevant work experience and then 
additional work experience, for example, what would you, uh, what would you like to see? I think my preference on a resume, just again, for the sake of, of space and, and, and really relevance to the job at hand would be to only include the relevant work experiences, um, on your LinkedIn, on the other hand, I, I shouldn't say that LinkedIn should be an exact copy of your, your resume because re in reality, LinkedIn has room to include a whole heck of a lot more. So, um, so for example, like I still have my first job at Subway from when I was in grade eight, like on, on my LinkedIn, I've, I've tried to represent my entire career history there. And I, I think that's a good practice to do because it shows your growth as a person and as a professional and the different types of jobs that you've been exposed to and, and different types of skills that you might've picked up over the years. If, if a recruiter or hiring leader does end up looking at your, your LinkedIn. Um, but again, for the sake of a resume, if, if you're trying to keep it to one page or two pages, it's, it's probably best um, to focus exclusively on, on those three or whatever, um, mm -hmm. num whatever number of, of kind of most directly relevant roles and experiences that you have. Um, and I, I apologize, I, I just remembered Robin had asked one other question about um, the number of bullet points uh, in each experience as well. So I can touch on that briefly. I, I think um, I would say probably between three to five bullet points is, is my preference for each experience. And um, I'm a little bit OCD, so I like to see consistency. So I, I like to see the same number of bullet points for each experience or where the exception is that you can have maybe more bullet points, maybe five bullet points on your current or most recent job, and then maybe cut it down to three on each of your, your prior experiences or something like that. And again, that's a way to save space. It's a way to uh, show kind of that your most recent or current experience is probably the most directly relevant or most transferable uh, to the role you're applying to as well. Um, and the thing to, to note, uh, especially for, for people that might be new graduates or, or early on in their career is, um, once you graduate university and land your first job, your education basically doesn't, doesn't matter anymore, which is, which is a sad, sad reality. Um, but it's all the business world sort of operates in the mentality of kind of like, what have you done for me lately? So it's, it's all about, it's all about what your most recent experiences, most recent accomplishments, most recent skills, most recent learnings. Um, so that's usually where the, the wider or, or, I guess, heavier weight uh, will be placed um, by a recruiter or hiring leader or any organization. So um, mm -hmm. that's kind of how I, I think about how to structure the bullet points and, and the amount of content in each of your experiences as well. Yeah. Excellent. And I know that Robin will touch on those, the education in a few moments here, but my next question for you is what do recruiters think about gaps between jobs? Like, is this still a red flag? And if so, how can a candidate explain these in the resume, we looked at how you spend around 30 seconds on resumes, but some recruiters will spend five to seven seconds. So how can they explain that in a resume? And mm -hmm. lastly, what would you say is too short regarding uh, how long a candidate was at a, at a, a previous job? Yeah. Um, so I, I think the, the, I guess the way that career gaps are viewed is becoming less and less important, I would say, or less and less of a, of a flag at least. Um, I know that LinkedIn, for example, just recently released a feature where you can actually include um, kind of career breaks or, or career gaps on your profile um, and you can type out like kind of what it was. So I, I personally have one on, on my profile um, where I, I got in an accident a few years ago and had a pretty bad concussion. So I was kind of between jobs for a, a few months um, recovering before I was able to get back to work. So I, I just kind of basically wrote that wrote that out and there's some different categories that you can choose from. So I, I really like that idea. Like I think the same sort of thing can be applied on a resume. It, all it needs to be is like one line or one heading between 
your your first and second experience kind of thing or between where, where the gap was um, and just say like I took a, a like a mental health break or I took a physical health break or I was in school or I um, was working this like other job or I went traveling or, or whatever it may be there's there's so many different things that could could come into play there um, so that's one option um, the other option is to just leave it as is and and not have anything in between your your uh, kind of experiences but just be prepared to talk about it or or answer the question about it if, if you do get selected for uh, an interview so um, so th those are kind of the two approaches. I, again, I'm I'm not really biased or, or particular to one over the other, um, but I do I do like the idea of, of how LinkedIn has approached it, and um, I think it is a little bit more forward thinking in terms of recruiting in general um, to not place too much weight on those kinds of career gaps because. I mean, we all go through things in our personal lives and, and I think that's becoming more widely known and, and accepted across uh, the business world. But again, to my point earlier, there are still some kind of older school recruiters, older school hiring leaders, older school organizations that might not feel the same or, or think the same. So um, sometimes it can honestly be sort of a luck of the draw thing or, or the type of organization that you're applying to type of industry sometimes plays a factor on, on how people think as well. Um, so, so anyways, on the whole, I, I don't think it's a big issue to have a gap on your resume or, or a couple of gaps on your resume. It's just, again, being prepared to kind of communicate about it and answer the question about it transparently. Um, and hopefully that that's what uh, the person on the other side is, is expecting. Um, and then to answer the second question about, how or how long is too short, I guess, of a stint at a specific role or job. Um, it really, it really does vary. Um, I realize I've said this for a few of my answers now, but um, I think for most jobs, one year is, is a fairly good period of time before kind of moving on to the next thing, um, especially early in a career. And, and nowadays in, in 2022, it's, it's fairly common for people to switch jobs every year, year and a half, two years. Um, I know in the tech industry specifically, about a year and a half is is roughly the average tenure um, at one organization, um, especially when it comes to startups and and that kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, I, I would say maybe roughly a year. Um, that being said, there are other jobs where a shorter stint can be acceptable. Um, it, it's just, again, about how you frame it, how you justify the move, um, like why why that first organization wasn't the right fit or wasn't the right role and, and what you were looking for. And did you find that successfully in your next role, that that kind of thing? It's it's really more about how you position it and, and how you talk about it and, and how you frame it. And that can be difficult sometimes to do just on your resume itself. But again, um, it's really important to be prepared to talk about those things if you if or when you do get selected for an interview or if you're in a networking coffee chat or at a career fair or, or different things uh, like that. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to mention there is other jobs um, sometimes require longer. So for example, I know sales jobs in the business to business software industry, for example, or sales jobs in uh, like, um, I guess like big oil and gas, that kind of thing. Like they expect people to stay in their job for sometimes two, three years, because in some of those jobs, the sales cycles are so long um, that it's really impossible to gauge someone's 
skills or experience or how well they did in that role if they were only there for six months or a year. Um, like I, I know that that's some that's a very common piece of feedback I've received in my previous organization that was a business to business software um, in payroll and HR that we had really long sales cycles and we're dealing with more complex deals and, and complex types of clients and that kind of thing. Um, managing payroll for sometimes hundreds of, of employees and that kind of thing. So um, in some of those some industries or, or some roles, uh, you sometimes need a longer period of time to for the recruiter or the hiring leader on the other side to really get a good gauge on um, the value that you were able to bring to the table or, or whether you were successful in that role previously or not. Um, so Pascal, I think that's really kind of a good lead up into like what I've been seeing specifically on LinkedIn is that some people are either taking the time that they have off now to do free upgrades, I'll say. And I know that LinkedIn is has been really great at kind of offering free project management classes or change management classes. I'm curious if you were to put that on your resume, A, does that matter? Does that kind of give you an advantage in the, the process? Um, but also to do recruiters know that they're free? Does it matter if you, you have taken a free course versus a paid course? Um, I don't think the free versus paid piece matters. Um, that's because, I mean, those types of free kind of self-guided courses or online courses are, are super popular these days. And there are a variety of different platforms that, that offer them. Um, and I think in, in general, I mean, this is a whole other topic, but I think the trend in education in general is that it's becoming more and more um, accessible to, to everyone on a global scale, to everyone, regardless of like their financial means and, and things like that. Um, and I don't know, there might be some university or college folks out there that don't like me saying this, but I think the trend in, in general is that learning is moving more and more into the digital online kind of accessible world um, and that traditional post-secondary institutions or the importance of them in a lot of circles and a lot of industries is starting to diminish a little bit. Um, I, I don't think they will go away. I don't think universities are going to go away anytime soon, but um, the reality is that people can learn just as much, if not more online for free or for a very low cost um, today in a self-guided way um, or through some of these kind of guided uh, courses that are available online as they can to spend thousands of dollars to go uh, to an in-person institution or, or take courses on Zoom live and, and that kind of thing. So um, so overall, again, the, the free versus paid piece, I don't think matters to me or, or to most recruiters, uh, most hiring leaders. Um, to answer the first part of the question though, I, I do think taking those courses can provide a little bump, like a little bit of positive value to uh, someone's candidacy. But again, it's about the direct relevance. So um, taking courses that like just for the sake of taking a course um, is not necessarily beneficial. It, it has to be something that is clearly a skill or a, a technology or a tool or something that will directly help that person land the job that they're applying for or succeed in the job that they're applying for. Um, and to take it even one step further, I, I think the reason I say it's only a little bump up is because again, like the information, the learning is accessible out there to, to everyone. And you don't necessarily need to have taken an online course to learn that or to, to know that information. You could watch a series of YouTube videos, you could read some blog posts, like there's so many different ways um, to, to pick up that information. Um, so I think 
it's not necessarily enough to just take that course. You have to show that you can apply it or have applied it in some way as well. And, and that can be more difficult to do in, in certain areas. But um, for example, for software developers, for uh, designers, for like people that have writing as a component in their jobs, um, having a portfolio or having some sort of projects or, or th things like that where um, they can work on, excuse me, <laughs> excuse me, sorry. Um, having uh, sort of those samples of, of their work in different areas or how they applied the learnings from one of those online courses, um, that really takes it to the next level and, and shows that they're not only learning, but they're they're also learning by doing. And that in most cases in, in the real world is, is viewed as um, more of a positive, I would say, than just taking a course and not necessarily doing anything with it or not applying those skills. Um, yeah, I, I get that it like people are wanting to do it so they can kind of beef up their resume to try and land a job. But the better way to do that is is just by doing and and building something, creating something, um, creating a work sample of 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 some sort. Where uh, or or even if if you don't like if you can't think of how to create a work sample or a portfolio in your line of work, try to take on like some like free pro bono projects with small businesses or nonprofits or something in, in your local community. Um, try to do a little bit of like consulting work if, if you can find someone that's willing to pay you to, to do something for them. Um, like those are great ways to to take that to the next level as well and, and really apply those learnings rather than just like listing a course uh, on your resume sort of thing. I just envisioned, I didn't even think about, um, you know, watching YouTube videos and I just envisioned somebody putting like, watching yeah. how to <laughs> use the software <laughs> yeah exactly it, it's it's funny but it's it's the truth these days like there are, there's actually so many good youtube tutorials out there and demos on on how to use a specific tool or piece of software or, or to learn to code or whatever it may be so um so it's it's funny to think about but it's it's definitely the truth <laughs> interesting okay and kind of hand in hand with resumes we have cover letters and uh, a lot of jobs when you're applying for them, uh, especially online with these automated kind of platforms, ask you for a cover letter. So my question for you is how important are cover letters and do recruiters look at these before or after a resume or not at all? Mm -hmm. So this is another one where I'll say it, it varies. Um, it kind of depends on the recruiter if I'm and the hiring leader, if, if I'm being honest. Um, for myself, I personally view cover letters as, as a little bit more old fashioned, a little bit more antiquated. Um, I'd rather the resume and, and LinkedIn be really well done and, and be able like, I, I feel like I'm usually able to glean just as much, if not more from a good resume and good LinkedIn profile and, and LinkedIn activity, even in some cases, as I am from a, a cover letter. Um, I think cover letters, like there, there's only so much creative freedom with with them uh in general um and and i would say the only time i would really look at a cover letter seriously is after a resume review um and again taking that example of let's say there's two candidates that are almost identical on paper in terms of their experience and skills and in this case they both have zero grammatical errors and zero typos and and they've both done a really good job um but we only maybe have room to take on or the capacity to take one into the next interview phase or, or the first interview phase, whatever it may be. Um, that might be like where I would look at a cover letter as a potential deal breaking factor or, or to push one over the edge kind of thing. Um, but that's a very like unique use case, a very unique situation. Um, so my, my preference in general is no cover letters. Um, we don't ask for cover letters at Hi Hello. Um, 
I personally can tell you the last, I think the last two or three jobs that I've landed myself, I haven't submitted one single cover letter. Um, I've just focused a lot more of my time and efforts on my resume, on targeted networking in with people in the industry, on my LinkedIn profile and activity, but those kinds of things that I've kind of mentioned already. Um, but again, it, it really does vary. You, you might, even in the tech industry, I know recruiters that live and die by the cover letter. Um, I know hiring leaders that do the same. Um, but I would say on, on the more kind of forward thinking, bleeding edge side of recruiting and, and the trend is that uh, the importance of cover letters is, is definitely diminishing. So um, my advice would honestly be focus more of your time and efforts on tailoring your resume for each job on making sure your LinkedIn profile is really complete and up to date and you're, you're being active and engaging with different posts and, and people there um, targeted networking, whether that's through LinkedIn or through uh, networking events or just different things that are going on in the community, different other social pro uh, sorry, other social platforms um, as well that can be found online um, really spend your time on those things. And then, really to your point, Victor, like only include a cover letter if it's explicit, if the application or organization is explicitly asking you to include a cover mm -hmm. letter. That's, that's the only time that I would kind mm -hmm. of advise or recommend to do so. That being said, again, there will be other recruiters that might watch this and completely disagree with me. Um, but I, but that, that's kind of my perspective and it's, it's really kind of a, uh, an individual preference. Mm -hmm. Excellent. That's fair. And I know that we kind of like talked about a couple of red flags that, um, you know, could hinder your chance to move forward in the application process. But other than the grammar, grammar, I can't even speak now, <laughs> other than the uh, typo errors, let's go with that. Um, what are some other red flags that you would, you know, immediately kind of disregard um, for a candidate to move forward? Mm -hmm. So I, I think it kind of goes back to the theme I was mentioning earlier about relevance. Um, so for example, if a resume, if their summary or objective section or, or paragraph says they're applying for or they're interested in like a completely different job or a completely different industry than the one they've submitted their application for, that's a really easy way right off the top to just say, okay, this person, first of all, probably either didn't have enough attention to detail or didn't care um, about about making this tailored and, and relevant to the job they're applying to, um, or, or they might just be spraying their resume out as a blanket to like 50 or hundred different jobs all at once kind of thing. And not really paying attention to what actual job or what actual industry, what, what the type of companies uh, and their business is and that kind of thing. So that's a really, really easy one. Um, I think when it comes to, for example, the, the skills section as well, um, Again, it's about relevance. You want to see skills that are directly relevant to the job at hand, hopefully some overlap or similarities with kind of what was advertised in the job posting or, or the job description. Um, if it's for an accounting role, for example, and the, the top skills listed are like interpersonal and communication and uh, like presenting and, and these those kinds of things, while those aren't necessarily bad things for an accounting role, they're not the top skills, like I, I would think of like attention to detail and uh, prioritization and like mathematical or analytical abilities and um, uh, like organizational skills, like all these kinds of things would be much more important or more heavily weighted in in that type of job, for example, just in that, that instance. Um, so again, just having, if, if a candidate has really irrelevant skills listed, especially like at the top of their skills section or in the majority of their skills section, um, that 
is probably a way to kind of uh, push them out of the the process as well. Um, yeah, th- those would be some of the bigger ones, I think. Um, and and then honestly, it, it might sound simple, but formatting is is a big one um, for for me. I would say about the only role that I wouldn't um, maybe judge as harshly for formatting issues or, or typos and that kind of thing would be like a really technical um, type of like engineering position, whether it's software engineering or um, like an IT, uh, like a high level IT person, or um, even engineers in different industries, that that kind of thing. Um, as long as they're good at like those kinds of roles, as long as they're good at math or they're good at coding or, or whatever, that's kind of the most important factor. Um, whereas the communication and, and formatting and that kind of thing might, or attention detail sometimes falls a little bit behind. Um, but I would say for the major, like wide majority of roles, um, having consistent like formatting, consistent fonts and headings and, and um, clear, clear headings where you can kind of read and follow along and see where each section is and, and everything like that. Consistency in um, like, how they're how a candidate is representing how long they were at an employer so whether they choose like month year or date month year or whatever having kind of consistency in in terms of formatting just it's just really the little things attention to detail um can go a really long way and it's it's sort of sad in a way that sometimes those things make such a big impact or a big difference on on certain people's applications but again if you're one resume in a pile of 250 plus um like we as recruiters and hiring leaders have to use the information really that's available to us to make decisions and, and to cut that list back. Um, and again, that kind of leads me back full circle to what I was just mentioning um, in terms of really focusing on the networking side of things as well, like doing things that are above and beyond your resume, above and beyond um, your actual job application that can kind of give a little bit more influence or, or shape your, your job search and your chances for success a little bit more than, than strictly uh, your resume might. Great. And that actually leads us into, we only have two more questions for you. And this one is, so since the pandemic began, people in hospitality and you know other industries have been making the switch to office jobs or you know something in the business world. So what can these folks do to ensure that their transferable skills are highlighted so they won't be seen as irrelevant for the job? because of their background. So if you have someone who was in the cooking industry and now they want to jump into the SaaS industry, for example, how can they do that? What would you recommend? Yeah, great question. So I I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but I, I really think again it comes from like comes back to the relevance piece, um, taking that job description for that new job or that new industry that you're looking for and then looking at your current resume, your current experience, your current skills and and thinking about like how can you represent some of these things on on the job description side in your resume that that's being truthful and in a way that factfully uh, represents kind of the experience and skills that you already have. So it's it's really thinking about again not not listing all of your skills or all of your experience that you might already have, but really prioritizing and listing first at least the the skills that you see kind of match up between both sides or are directly transferable directly relevant um, to that new job or that new industry um, that you're looking for uh, so that that would be like my main piece of advice is just um, try to again just simply like match up the two documents and then see see what you can kind of reorder reprioritize bring to the top um, or see what you can eliminate if it's completely irrelevant um, and and just try to make your your kind of new resume like as tailored and as 
transferably relevant to that new job as you can. Um, and again, just even going back to, to Robin's question about the, the courses and certifications and things like that um, before, that that is definitely a positive asset, especially if you're transitioning from a completely different job or completely different industry. Um, I would say if you're moving to like the same type of job or a similar type of job, probably less important. But if you if you're moving into a brand new industry, then those kinds of things can uh, provide some additional weight, I would say, or additional positive uh, view to your application as well. Awesome. Yeah. And, and my last question, I think this kind of ties in like you've given us some really good tips for for us to consider, I think, for job um, searchers to kind of look at as well, kind of looking at their resume, cleaning it up, making consistent, making it relevant. Um, besides that, is there any other advice that you'd give um, job hunters right now? Yeah, I, I think um, I would just kind of go back to what I was mentioning about networking in, in sort of a targeted way. Um, this conversation has been awesome, of course, and, and resumes are super, super important in, in any job application. But again, it, it can be very difficult to stand out no matter how good your resume is. If it's if it's covering exactly every single point that I mentioned today and you're following all the best practices and all the advice out there and you have no typos and everything, it can still be really hard to stand out in a pile of 200 or 250 or 300 resumes. Um, so it's my advice is really to think about some of the other things that you might be able to do to kind of take your search to the next level uh, outside of your, your resume. Um, of course, again, resume is super important. You need to do all these things to often have a shot at that first conversation, but um, there are also other ways to, to try and sort of gain access to opportunities uh, in the working world without your resume as well, or, or with your resume, just being a tool to, to help you in that process. Um, so targeted networking is far and away my number one suggestion. Um, just to give a little bit more practical advice or takeaway, I think um, what I usually advise the candidates is do some research, do some work, Google, figure out, well, first of all, actually, sorry, to take a step back, do some deep self-reflection and, and like understand what your values are, what kind of opportunities and, and interests you have, um, what kinds of skills you already have, um, and what types of industries or organizations you might be interested in working for. Then once you have that information, take that, go do your Googling, do your research online and come up with a list of maybe like 10, 15, 20, it doesn't matter, uh, a, a reasonable amount of businesses or, or companies that would be sort of like target or dream employers for you. Um, and then with uh, LinkedIn, for example, uh, every company on LinkedIn has has a company page and every company page has a people tab. Um, so if you go to the, the company page, click on the people tab, you will see a list of every single person on LinkedIn that has that company listed as their employer. Um, so it's a great way to find people that you can connect with and, and try to engage in conversation with who might be able to uh, either in the short term or longer term um, help lead you to opportunities or recommend you or refer you for opportunities and, and just get to know you better and, and help you get to know the company and, and them better as well. Um, so based on the company, there might like how big the company is, it might take you a little bit longer to go through 500 people as it, as it would to 50 people or something like that. But um, you can usually go through and find sort of different types of people that are uh, recommended to reach out to. So 
one of those groups would be people like myself, recruiters who are responsible for hiring. The second group would be um, the hiring leaders of the position that you're interested in. So if you know sort of the title or the team name, that kind of thing um, that you want to apply for or, or that you're interested in, you can usually find like the manager of or director of or head of um, that title or that department, um, reach out to those people as well. And then thirdly, and I would argue that this is probably the most uh, kind of beneficial group to connect with are the people that are already in the role um, that you're looking to apply for. Um, and then send, send, let's say, five of those people in some of those different roles in, in one organization, um, personalized connection requests, don't ask them for a job right away. Just don't, don't show your resume right away. Just, just send them a quick message saying like, Hey, really interested in your profile or learning more about your background or this specific project that you saw on their LinkedIn or something like that. And just say, Hey, I'm really interested in learning about this. We'd love to connect with you and, and learn more kind of thing, or ask you some questions, leave it really simple, one simple ask. And that's how you'll often get kind of a better chance of those people connecting with you over the course of time. You build up those relationships. You keep chatting back and forth, ask a simple question back and forth. If they're engaged, they'll probably start asking you questions and, and talking with you more, um, that kind of thing. And then um, eventually you can ask them for a coffee chat or a Zoom meeting or something like that. And, and over the course of time, as you build trust throughout that relationship, you can start to sprinkle in bits and pieces about yourself and your skill set and the fact that you might be looking or open to a job. Um, so it's, it's really about like that longer term relationship building and, and networking play. Um, and if you do that again with five to 10 people at each of these, let's say 20 organizations, boom, all of a sudden you have like a hundred people or 200 people in your network that are directly relevant to the jobs and, and industry and companies that you're wanting to apply for or get a job at. And again, it might not always result in an immediate job or an immediate payoff, but um, when it comes to networking and relationship building and building trust, um, it sometimes takes a few months or six months or a year or something like that. So um, it really does pay off and, and lead to really, really, really positive uh, results. And um, yeah, even, even just being more active on LinkedIn, I would say as, as the last piece of advice, the last takeaway um, can be really beneficial as well. Um, just a, a really quick anecdote um, before I joined Hi Hello, uh, I due to my LinkedIn activity and um, kind of the personal brand and the following that I've built, um, I had multiple organizations that were reaching out to me um, for, like about job opportunities. So I, I didn't even have to apply um, for many of them. One of them, if you can believe it, was simply because I liked one post on LinkedIn and the hiring leader reached out to me and said, Hey, I saw you like this post, checked out your profile. I think you'd be a good fit for this role. Um, I ended up going with hi, hello over that opportunity, but it was, it was a really, really great, really great, like interview process, really great organization, really great opportunity, really great hiring leader, um, and some good connections that I got out of that as well. So it can be something as simple as liking or sharing or commenting on a post. You don't even have to post your own original content in a lot of cases. Um, so if you, if you just build up that engagement and sort of consistency using a platform like LinkedIn professionally, it, it can really result, uh, in some longer term gains uh, or opportunities in, in the immediate term as well. Oh, that's amazing. Thanks so much, Pascal, for, for all this insight. It's really cool to kind of see how, um, hiring managers, recruiters, I, I think just kind of like the job application in general is kind of changing and, and shifting. Uh, we really thank you for your time and your insights, uh, your recommendations as well. Um, this was really amazing.
Thank you. No, thank you both, Victor and, and Robin, for having me. It's been a wonderful conversation. And yeah, hopefully the, the listeners will uh, see some value and, and pick up a few, uh, I guess, tips and tricks to, to help them in their searches moving forward. Absolutely. No, I think they will. And to our audience, thank you so much for listening to the Business Podcast Canada. And if you'd like to reach out to us, our email is contact at businesspodcast.ca, or you can also message us through LinkedIn. Robin, any final thoughts for our audience or Pascal? Um, no, this was just, it was really cool. It's its always so interesting. I think especially with resumes, with cover letters, with LinkedIn, the networking, I think there's so many um, ideas that are out there. And I think it's just really cool to know, Pascal, that like, just kind of trust your gut, trust your intuition. Um, also be mindful of where you're applying, who you're applying to, and then and tailor, uh, you know, accordingly. So you're not applying to be a chef and you have, you know, a customer, customer experience. So I th- I just really appreciate these these insights and and tips for us. No, my, my pleasure. Thank you again for for having me. It's been it's been an awesome conversation. So um, yeah, just just really appreciative uh, of the opportunity. Perfect. Well, thank you all again. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Business Podcast Canada. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please reach out to contact at businesspodcast.ca. You can also find us on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash company slash business podcast Canada. Until next time.